Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Devoted the podcast dedicated to building awareness, understanding, and strategies to help those with dyslexia. I'm your host, Lisa Parnello, dyslexia therapist and founder of Parnello Education Services. This show features information, stories, candid interviews, and experiences with dyslexia at all ages. Join me as we dive into today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Most reading curriculums made for kids with dyslexia say they have a multi-sensory approach. But what does that mean? Welcome to episode five of Dyslexia Devoted, where we will be focusing on multi-sensory teaching. Our topics today include, why do we use a multi-sensory approach? What does it look like? And how can multi-sensory approaches be used in other settings besides just reading instruction? Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know my online course goes into more detail about multi-sensory teaching, including visual examples that obviously I can't give on a podcast. So if you want more details than you find in this episode, you can find the link with information about the course in the show notes. It's up for pre-sale now as of today's recording this first week of July 2022, which includes access for the lifetime of the course and all the future updates that I add as content continues to grow within the course. The price will go up as soon as the pre-sale is over and the last module has been published. Now to dive right in, why do we use a multi-sensory approach? All of the Orton-Gillingham-based programs use a multi-sensory approach based on years of scientific evidence, as well as seeing it put into practice with students with dyslexia, and seeing that if teachers use methods that use more than one sense, as in see, hear, smell, touch, those kind of senses, then the students are able to make better connections. So if you want more information about what is included in Orton-Gillingham-based programs, go to the show notes at parnelloeducation.com episode five. By using a multi-sensory approach, The idea behind it is that the more connections we can make within the brain, the more neuropathways there are in order to remember and retrieve the information that has been learned. Typically, students with dyslexia take a very inefficient pathway within their brain in order to read words that are in front of them. By using a more strong multisensory approach, the students start using more efficient pathways when they're reading, and on the functional MRI machines, As the students are reading, they can actually see physical differences within the brain of what changes before and after a student has received remediation instruction to try to rewire the brain in the way they think about reading and the way their brain uses pathways to get to the information when they go to read words. We want to build up more ways that the students can access their knowledge to break away from those inefficient pathways and their troubles with trying to retrieve that information and try to build more ways that the students can connect to their memories and use different senses to remember content that they've learned. If they were able to see it and touch it and hear it, there's three different ways that that student can go back and use their sense memory to retrieve that information. It's building more of those neuropathways each time they see, hear, and touch the information that they're reading on the page. So what does a multi-sensory approach look like? 
Well, first it starts with teaching them the sounds. And when I say teaching them the sounds, I don't necessarily mean while they're looking at letters. When students are pronouncing the sounds, a lot of times they will be mispronouncing it. For example, they might say huh instead of huh. We want to teach them the difference between what the sounds feel like when they say them properly versus improperly. For example, putting their hand on their vocal cords to feel the difference between when they said huh compared to when they said huh and telling them that it really makes a difference in the way we pronounce words when we say them properly and knowing what it looks like and feels like when they do that. So we might show them either with our own mouth or with a mirror so that the students learn what it looks and feels like when they say it correctly versus when they don't. Frequently, we might see students doing er for r as opposed to rrr. And when you look at your mouth, it actually makes a very different shape when you say the sounds within the word her versus when you say the sound ring. Your mouth makes a very different shape and showing them that mouth shapes make a difference when you're pronouncing letter sounds as you're going to read so that you can read correctly. Compared to if you say them incorrectly, it makes it much harder to blend those sounds together to form words. Many teachers are also starting to use sound walls where they will show pictures of mouths on the wall to show the different shapes when they say different words to help them remember when I make this shape with my mouth, this is the letters that I use when I make that shape. The students are using different cues instead of a word wall of all of their sight words in alphabetical order. They might be categorized by the vowel sounds and the shapes that their mouths make when they make each of those words. I personally don't use a sound wall because I work with grades anywhere from kindergarten through eighth grade in my office, and they do not need all the same words and information on the wall. And since we are in a one-on-one setting, I can just make the mouth shapes myself or have them do it with a mirror, and therefore I don't need posters on the wall for it. So each student and each teacher might use a different strategy based on what works best in their setting. This section in particular is one that you'll find better in the online course where you can actually see my mouth shapes and the way that I teach the kids to touch their throats for their vocal cords to be able to hear and feel different ways that sounds are made. So let's jump into the next component, which is that often we use colors to distinguish vowels from consonants and other patterns as we are using any of the Orton Gillingham based programs. So we want the students to have a visual discrimination between a vowel and a consonant because these can be kind of abstract ideas. So if the students can physically see a difference between the two kinds of letters, consonants tend to make fairly stable sounds with only a couple instances where the consonant might change sounds, whereas vowels can make very significant changes in their patterns and the way that they are pronounced depending on where they are located in the word and the letters around them. We want the students to be able to have a way to visually discriminate things that tend to be a little bit more abstract as they're learning. Additionally, we use these cards or magnetic letters to help students see that when we physically move these letters or cards around, that we can see the differences between words just by changing the order. For example, the word left versus the word felt. Typically, many students who have not been remediated for dyslexia will often confuse these words because they look very visually similar and they have all the same letters. And we really want the students to be able to see that when I change the order of that letter, it completely changes the meaning of the word. I can also help them see by inserting different sounds, I can actually completely change the situation. If I sip on water versus if I slip on water, those are two very different things. In one way, I'm quenching my thirst. In another way, I might be falling on the ground. And we want the students to see that order matters because frequently they'll say, oh, close enough, it's only one letter, I was close. 
when really it might completely change the meaning of what they are reading if they misread some of those words. So we want the students to see when we physically move these cards around or with these letter magnets around, we can see that it utterly changes the meaning and meaning matters when you're trying to read something important. By moving letters, that's physically touching things. But other ways that we might be touching our letters is to try to touch sounds. So when I say touch sounds, that would be if you're sounding out a word, let's say you're going to spell it on a page, you can tap it either on your fingertips or on little colored blocks or on your arm in order to better break down all of the sounds that you hear within that word and physically separating them so that I know that slip is s l i p before I go to write so that I know when I go to write it down that I write down every sound. Frequently, kids with dyslexia, when they go to write, will leave out sounds. And so by breaking down the sounds ahead of time before they go to write, they can make sure they include all the letters they need to make those sounds. After students get better at breaking down individual words, then we get better at breaking down sentences and reading those sentences into phrases by physically touching them with their finger or with a pencil in order to break the sentence into more meaningful phrases so that the students aren't reading one word at a time and sounding like a robot. I see the cat, I see the dog. It's more like, I see a cat, I see a dog, and helping them see that when we say things in phrases, it becomes a lot more meaningful and our brain is able to retain it better than if I do word-by-word -word reading. And we do that through scooping it into phrases until they create meaning. And so we want them to see the way we break up words into phrases so that they have meaning compared to if you break the same exact words, if you said them properly, but phrased them incorrectly, it suddenly doesn't make nearly as much sentence. I went to the park and my dog ran away. It doesn't make as much sense as if I said I went to the park and my dog ran away. Even though I said all of the same words, by phrasing it differently, the meaning doesn't quite convey the same if you don't phrase it properly. Another way that we use the multi-sensory approach is to do sight words or high-frequency words, meaning words that don't follow traditional spelling patterns or words that you use so frequently that you need to learn them sooner than you are ready to learn the rest of the words using that same pattern. When students are doing high-frequency words, typically we try to use things that help them get a more tactile way of remembering something that may not seem like it has a very logical pattern. For example, the word should. There are many different letters in there, even though you only hear three sounds, sh, uh, d, but we spell it S-H-O-U-L-D. So in order to help the students better remember all of those extra letters that they can't actually hear, we try to give them some strategies. So they might be using some big arms in the air because gross motor movements have a stronger muscle memory than using fine motor movements. We might have cookie sheets full of colored sand so the kids can practice drawing on them. The program I use is called Wilson, and so we have these amazing gel boards that I am absolutely obsessed with, and the kids love too. And the kids write with a little magnetic pen, and they have to push really hard with their finger to try to erase it away. And the bigger thing to do with all of this is to not just make the letters in the sand or make them in the air or trying to do it with the gel boards, but it's what you're doing when you write those words. It is you have the student say all the letters as they're going and then repeat the letters as they're writing one letter at a time and repeat the whole word when they're done building it at the end and using some repetition so that students are able to create some sense memory for some of these words that are more difficult to remember and order matters when they go to spell them. So if we can give them as many ways to see it and touch it and hear themselves say it as they're going, they're going to be more likely to remember how to spell those words later. I also like to combine these multi-sensory approaches with a bit of a heart word approach. 
So I've linked the heart word approach in the show notes. And the heart word approach is about teaching the kids which part they have to know by heart. Because a lot of times words like should, for example, the SH and the D actually are very predictable patterns. It's just the part in the middle they have to know by heart. So that way I can help teach the students that it's not really about remembering the entire word. It's remembering the part that is different from what you would typically expect it to be. And there's great ways that you can combine those strategies together. Now, when we are doing this multi-sensory approach, you can apply it to many other areas besides just reading. It's the idea that students need to be able to see the big picture. So as opposed to just giving them a string of words and lecturing them, giving them a literal picture of what it looks like that you're trying to teach them, giving them some video examples. I have a student who said, Her history teacher didn't make any sense whatsoever, and so she would try to read the textbook and somehow it just didn't click. So she found a website that had video examples of all of the major events in history, and so she would go in and watch the video about whatever their upcoming topic was, so that when the teacher started lecturing, it suddenly made a lot more sense because she was able to draw upon information she had already learned ahead of time in order to get a better understanding of the big picture of the content that they were teaching. A lot of times our students with dyslexia do not do well when all they can do is hear words. They need to be able to actually see what they're learning about and being able to make connections with information they already know to have something to attach this new information to. If they're learning something that seems really abstract and they can't connect it to anything, it is a lot harder for them to remember it later, whether it's to use it in life or to take a test next week. The big idea is that we need to take these abstract thoughts and learn how to make them concrete. We need to teach them how to use pictures, teach them how to use idea webs on how they can connect concepts that they're learning now with other concepts that they already know, and teach them to make relationships with the information so it is easier for them to connect their ideas. Students do really well if they have hands-on projects in order to better understand these concepts, especially when they're applying to math and science, seeing what it looks like. For example, in a math class, they might be building tents with popsicle sticks. They might learn how the equation we use to find a squared plus b squared is c squared, you can actually use actual squares to show them that how that theory works so they have a better understanding of what it looks like and where that rule comes from. It's not just this abstract idea of, it, is this because I said so? If you can physically show them why it works, it makes it a lot easier for the students to have a better understanding and make connections. In a science class, students can, might learn all about bridges But instead, you might have them build bridges. Teach them what works and what doesn't work by letting them try it out first. Teaching them, here are four different styles of bridges. Try to make each one and see which one is stronger. Why would you use this type of bridge for a big heavy train, but this other kind of bridge for a pedestrian bridge that only people are walking on? And teaching them why we do things the way that we do by showing them and letting them test it out, it makes a lot more sense to them and how they can connect their ideas. If you're teaching a student about food webs, make an actual web throwing a ball of string back and forth across the room and showing the way all the animals are connected to one another within an ecosystem. And there's a lot of different ways that we can make these students able to better see and feel information in all sorts of different areas. When a student is learning math facts, you can use popsicle sticks, teach them how to make bundles and how to make groups of seven and count by sevens. Another option is use beads on string or pipe cleaners and use those to count and helping the students physically touch the numbers as they're moving along to show them different ways to make seven. Oh, I can do two and five. That would still make seven. I have seven beads and I just practice making them into different groups of one and six, 
or two and five, or three and four, or four and three, and showing them physically why it works the way it does creates a better sense memory for them to be able to recall that information later. And math facts is one of those things that people don't realize are a strong association with dyslexia. It's that same idea of it's hard for them to retrieve information at the last second and just quickly pull it out of their brain efficiently. So if we use a more multi-sensory approach, they can do better. Another way that you can apply this information is to writing and color coding those ideas, color coding their sentences compared to when they're giving a detail, using different color codes for reason one, reason two, reason three, when they're trying to give a persuasive essay. There's a lot of different ways that we can apply these multi-sensory approaches to students learning all sorts of different concepts. We apply them specifically for teaching kids to read, but we can use them in many other areas as well. To recap, we use a multi-sensory approach to teaching students so that we can build stronger brain connections for faster information retrieval. There's a variety of methods that we can use to apply these physical senses to students to better understand those abstract concepts and take them from being something so abstract to something concrete that they can actually see and feel and touch. You can use these to many other areas of learning, such as math, science, and even writing. It doesn't have to be applied just to reading, even though that's how we originally started learning. This helps our kids with dyslexia. We can now expand that learning into other areas as well. So if you want to learn more about dyslexia and structured reading programs, including some visual examples of some of the things I talked about today for our multi-sensory teaching, be sure to check out the online course linked in the show notes at parnelloeducation.com episode five. Thanks for joining me today. See you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Join us for our next episode by subscribing to this podcast as we devote each episode to different aspects of dyslexia. See you next time.